Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Welcome to the future, Pete. <laughs> Welcome to the future, indeed, Matt. We are almost there. Happy Star Trek Discovery Season 3 Eve. Indeed, Pete, getting this in the day before the new season starts. Thus are such busy times having wrapped up Lower Decks. Uh, not once, but twice in the last week. Talking about the last episode, then the podcast. Uh, also, some, some Star Trek stuff going on yesterday. Uh, but here we are previewing the return of the modern Star Trek mothership, Star Trek Discovery, the show... Now, 930 years in the future, a brand new fresh start for our familiar faces, new faces on the way, and I could not be more excited. And I think that's the, the greatest source of uh, excitement here. This is a wide open tableau for them to play with. Yes, of course, there will be nods to Star Trek of the past. There will be legacy races there will be all that but they can go and do whatever they want in the far-flung future we're going to see new tech we're going to see new races we're going to see new situations uh really really excited to dig in yeah it's it's astonishing this notion of going so far in the future that you leave previous canon behind uh, and that's something that Michelle Paradise said in uh, in the New York Comic Con Star Trek Discovery panel that it was this very intentional jump to brand new territory. And Pete, in a certain sense, it hasn't been since 1965 in that first pilot, where so much has been so possible for Star Trek. Now, of course, it comes on the infrastructure of the 50 plus years of show and the you know thousand years plus of of in universe time that got that got them there but I, I don't know pete in these crazy times this aspirational idea that a we are not going to know how the star trek times of the 23rd fourth and fifth centuries ended uh presumably it's going to be explored with the burn um but we're not going to know how the star trek times ended but clearly by implication the mission of this season or or this and future seasons whatever the the major arc might be is to answer the question how do we get back to the star trek times again and i'm ready for that uplift because pete i feel like here we are <laughs> post the burn and i need some help figuring out how we get back on the star trek times too we do it together and and the point that has remained uh through all of discovery the strength of a crew the strength of our differences of our diversity always wins the day that we're better that way than we are apart pete i think not to hammer the point home again but i really do find it so freeing as a star trek fan to be able to to be this far in the future you know i think we all have had our um our times as locked in viewers of Star Trek. And by that, I mean those things that just feel it is the way it should be, even though uh, other versions may have come before. For example, Pete, I re remember so distinctly seeing uh, on that first episode of Voyager, how uh, their warp core, it kind of was like, you know, a gaseous mix thing. Now, 
putting on my adult hat as opposed to, you know, when I was 16, 17 when the show premiered. Uh, it's probably that they didn't want to have the neon, you know, lights like they had on Next Generation it, just because it probably was murder to try and sync that up in shots and whatnot. But I look at it, I looked at it then and was like, oh, that's not the way it should be because it's always been on the Next Generation a different way. Even though, of course, Classic Trek had it different and the movies had it different and whatnot. But I think we all have those moments where you, you bite your tongue and you know you're not going to really complain that the warp core is different or that the phaser color is different or things like that. But to be so far in the future, it kind of gives the viewer space to say, I don't know what the engines of the of the future look like. I don't know what the weapons look I don't know what anything looks like. And I really can see Star Trek anew as opposed to it's the year after the thing that I loved it that I loved more than it and whatnot that's the one question I have is how very different can they truly make things I mean you talk about a 930 year jump but you know our imagining of that is is even limited I I want to see some really far out things I I want to see and obviously, you know, if you've watched the the new uh, credit sequence, what they they've put out in the in the last uh, eighteen hours or so, you know, they show the phaser morphs into a a different one where the handles back more. Okay, like that. But like, you know, what what are what are transporters like? Are they are they doing it differently? Um, you know, all that stuff. And then even the things they haven't had, you know, so the staples of Star Trek, the transporter, the the warp drive, the phaser, the tricorder, you know, do they have something we've never seen before, a la, you know, uh, wearable uh, tech, like, um, you know, Cisco was using on Deep Space Nine that became Google Glass, essentially. Like, I, I think Discovery is ready to, to throw in for that next thing. I just finished watching Star Trek Picard again, having gotten it on uh, Blu-ray as a gift from my wife for my birthday. And, you know, they, they did a little bit of that, of, of pushing it forward. You know, Rios piloting the La Serena and he's got like a heads up holographic display. I'm, I'm really looking forward to how inventive how how future looking beyond of course the acceptance of all the uh you know citizens of the federation and whatever this burn is and and how we overcome it well first of all pete it's the burn you need the to burn. say it with the the burnum yeah oh there you go was it I, her <laughs> i thought you were going to make a slightly different argument which is this yes it's 930 years in the future but it's now the weight on the production to imagine those things. And, you know, if you think, just to go back to the warp core for a second, uh, in classic Trek, it looked like a, you know, like a World War II ship engine room because it was, except it had fun lights and some mesh. Uh, and then in the motion picture, they're like, we have more money. Let's do, I don't know, multiple sets. That'll look great on all those skin tight uniforms to have people come on down and get to know Decker really well and all that, then they just recycled that set from 1978 when production started all the way until the end of uh, Voyager with a vertical thing. And then you occasionally added lights. So I thought you were going to say, 
how will they be able to imagine the future? But then, of course, I remember uh, they don't need to actually imagine the real future. They just need to imagine something that's going to wow us uh, the way Star Trek always has and, and be both relatable and understandable. Like that engine makes ship go fast uh, as well Would as have a whole bunch of too controversial that, you know, 930 years in the future they don't use warp drive. They use something else. I mean, there's a reason the Federation that Starfleet's only ever spore drive ship has gone forward. Um, I doubt they're all using a spore drive then. Um, so the ship will have novelty and or remain in service because that's the other thing, you know, what is the state of the Federation to the point where they would allow a ship from 930 years past to serve? And then the question that's been posed and eagle eyed viewers, of course, have seen. All right. Saru is wearing stripes. He becomes the captain. Yet wouldn't the Starfleet of the time, the Federation of the time, want a captain with the familiarity of the universe they are currently inhabiting and everything like that. So, you know, it, it would be like bringing forward, uh, you know, Renaissance era, uh, you know, soldiers or, you know, whatever, and then just throwing them into our, our current military. <laughs> like, it, yeah, like be in charge of a U.S. Navy destroyer. You were on a ship with sails. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. Columbus. <laughs> Uh, or whatever it is. And I, I really, I'm, I'm looking forward again to the creativity with which, and I think that this writer's room really strikes a balance of the science fiction action stuff and the thought provoking Star Trek stuff. Um, and I, I think those questions will be, you know, pun intended, logically answered. You mentioned the warp drive and it reminds me of Kurtzman's comment at New York Comic Con that they weren't just inventing uh, fictional technology to be cool stuff. It was to answer story yeah. solutions. So, like, if everybody is using the clean spore drive in the future and you can get anywhere as, you know, in, in the blink of an eye and, and no spore children are hurt, no tardigrades are hurt. Right. I mean, that 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 kneecaps you as a story because then you're never going to run out of gas. You're never going to try and get there before the thing gets there. It's just going to instantly be everything. So well, uh, how many seasons are they going to be dependent on standards to, to do it? You know, and, and what becomes the evolution of that? OK, obviously, the, the two stories in the first two seasons were dependent on him to do that. But moving forward with the time and the technology they're going to have access to and being able to integrate that. I mean, I fully expect, Matt, you know, when we start to see things of season four, like they will be in Starfleet 3188 uniforms. I think, too, I would not be surprised. And I know when last we left Stamets, he wasn't looking great, but I would expect shoot in the first two episodes that there's some sort of oh man well we've burned out the spore drive that's it for real insert spore drive version of the dilithium crystal boy there's no more spore drive dilithium crystals anymore uh 
we've made our last jump. Is everybody at home clear about that? That our magic thing that got us wherever we wanted to, that was just a story device to make the ship interesting and also zip us to the mirror universe and all that. Like that's now completely done with. That well, would be my hang expectation. On, though, because again, you're, you're dealing with a ship that is dramatically old. And that's where I think the spore drive keeps it useful. So I don't think Spore Drive is going anywhere. (laughs) As long as the show is named Discovery, this ship has to remain vital and important. So, you know, it'll be echoes of the Klingon War, except, you know, this ship that had its service and its secret struck from the record, okay? No one ever duplicated the technology, they will, of course, adapt it to the time. I mean, come on, they're going to use weapons of the era and, you know, I'm sure the warp drive or whatever warp has has morphed into, if, if that's changed at all. But otherwise, you know, the spore drive remains, this is why we would keep a 930-year-old vessel in service. Uh, I really like your logic there, so let me amend what I said. Maybe early on there is the um, the Doc Brown plutonium uh, rule is added, which is to say, here's the limit for the here's the total limit for the number of jumps we can do. Or, oh man, because the burn uh, did things to the mycelial network, we can't go everywhere. Oh, good, that gives us enough space to have the story where we get lost or where it's it's unknown quarters and we can't get back. That sort of thing. I think that quickly they're going to have to take away the roadmap to anywhere and everywhere and, and things like that. But I certainly agree with you, Pete, that they need to firepower this really old ship into something, um, something of the the of the time. You got to have a reason to to keep it. I mean, that's what makes the most sense to me. Um, but you know, you you look at this cast and you know a, a third season here. We know them. We've seen everything they've been through. We continue to add to the cast here with David Ayala, with Ian Alexander, with Blue Del Barrio. Um, you know, gone are the recurring uh, Admiral um, Cornwells and the Laurels, and even uh, Parish the Thought, uh, Shazad Latif's just great. Tyler going to miss him a lot. And I hope he pops up back in the past, either with strange new worlds or with uh, section 31. Um, But the other thing I'm really interested to is, you know, how we can open it up one for these new characters that we already know about. And the the other ones that are going to, you know, crop up, like we have no idea of the threat this season, which is nothing, I mean, other than this ominous thing that happened, and we don't even know when it happened, okay? So no idea of the the Klingons out there. No idea of this Red Angel mystery amid simmering tensions with the Klingons, and could the Romulans have been involved in that or any other factions? Like, we don't know where this goes, and that they've kept such a great lid on this, too. Um, Unlike... The previous seasons, I mean, listen, you know, the guessing game with Tyler as folk and then, you know, Lorca and then, you know, who's in the Red Angel suit. Oh, it's it's Saru. It's it's Burnham. It's Burnham and her mother. 
um, you know, all that, I, I'm really looking forward again to, uh, you know, the, the mystery here. Yeah. And again, uh, I think it's, it's a more profound reset to the show and to, um, I'll say Star Trek. Now, obviously you have Picard, uh, the Picard series, which, you know, assuming it resumes production at some point in the next, you know, nine, 10 months, um, almost certainly it'll take us into the, the 25th century having left off in 2399. Um, but, you know, so it's not like there's not other Star Trek and and the the more familiar, but this really is pushing it into into new turf. And again, that's turf that essentially hasn't been. It's a newness to to Star Trek that has not been explored since the original series. And figuring out, you know, well, we'll call it the Earth space fort. No, we'll call it the something else. No, Starfleet two word. No, Starfleet one word. And you know, kind of because it was of the time it was that was kind of unfolding on screen and nobody was really keeping track of it all so so i'm sure they're not gonna you know rename things willy-nilly but it's gonna be it's that sort of lack of familiarity with where they actually are yes built on the bones of the alpha and beta quadrants as we knew them and all of that but it's it's rare to not be you know all right well we get that deep space nine is at the far corner of the cool stuff but it's also now at the crossroads and it's a space town Western. Okay. Got it. Great. Oh, and it's that Voyager actually is the same familiar stuff, but lost in space. Oh, and, uh, when deep space nine goes to the, uh, gets the hand-me-down you, uh, movie uniforms, then Voyager gets the hand-me-down deep space nine uniform. It'll be great. Okay. Move on. This is just new, 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 new in a really exciting way. So let's talk new. What technology that maybe hasn't been really, focused on in star trek would you hope like to see that they would incorporate into this future i mean i think of some of the stuff uh towards the end of voyager season six and seven in there with some of those really uh advanced ship designs and the ships that can can go into separate parts um i think that is a really tempting place potentially to take it now that said it's a story thing the ship that can go into multiple parts it's a story thing that's now what 20 years old uh so i don't know how much sizzle there is you know again though it's very very new star trek it we're, we're still in a certain sense trapped in the age-old you know star trek question how how much new how much old how much you know how, how much canon how much you know brand new turf all of that um, but that comes to mind. I mean, again, I feel like for every for every turn I might turn to, well, Star Trek has been there before. You know, do you go for holographic characters? Well, we have Moriarty, we have the Doctor, and so forth. So I'm not quite sure. Uh, Pete, I'll go for this maybe, and this is probably the craziest thing I'm going to ask the universe for in Star Trek. How about some physically made models? Um, I would just love to see physically made models. I look at the Voyager design in particular, though Voyager is not my favorite show. I love the model of that ship. And I think that there really is, I think that the ships were better when they were handmade as beautiful as the discovery is. Uh, so maybe we get some of that in there. Maybe that's the big surprise that this is a real physical thing that they took, that, that, that they took still images of and then put them all together to make motion. I want to see that their ships have evolved past this idea to keep one form. I'd love to see 
not that they'd be transformers, but that the ship could modulate itself around. I think that'd be really exotic. I think it'd represent, you know, nearly a thousand years of time passage. And that obviously in some way in terms of propulsion and, and everything like that, that or the idea of space within a vessel too, that, you know, I'm not a doctor who person, but I know that the TARDIS is bigger inside than it is outside. So maybe some concept there playing around with the notion in space of space. You, you remind me of the first season of discovery where, you know, we didn't get the discovery until uh, eight minutes into the third episode. So maybe some of these things that we're pondering and, and, surely the creators must know that's kind of you know like we know the crew that has made it through the time thing and we know that even without having seen the previews we know that burnham was in the suit and everybody else was on the ship so probably they're going to be separated initially and then there's going to be you know the guys we made it but guys where are we you know lost style well Um, there's some time lapse between when she sees the crew again right right so I think in terms of story, whether that's one episode that's mostly her, which I would kind of bet, uh, or, or whatever it might be. the one that she went to Iceland with <laughs> David Ayala for uh, way back in July of 2019? Wow. Time does go by. Um, but I guess my point is this, Pete. Just as the show actually gave us the new ship in Star Trek Discovery in the third episode of the first season – these things like the new the new tour of the new Starfleet, you know, uh, or the new ships, the new style ships, that kind of thing, that might be held off. Um, I think, too, the narrative is probably helped by this hobbled Starfleet so that you don't, you know, you're not necessarily going to send, you know, the Enterprise uh, K or N or P or whatever we're up to. You're probably not going to send the flagship out there to go meet Discovery if, right. uh, you know, I... I I, I don't know for sure if that guy by the flag is the Federation president. I, I honestly don't remember from the preview. And Pete, please don't please don't tell me one way or the other because I've now faded into some kind of bliss for tomorrow, some kind of ignorant bliss. But, I mean, point being, I think it's going to be like, you know, this is not Washington, D.C. or New York or Paris. or It's going to be, you know, like, oh, welcome to the outpost, you know, where I'm, I'm, I'm the king of the desert, living in the desert, you know, that kind of thing. Well, you know, meeting a in some way diminished Federation and Starfleet is the way to go on top of bringing this vessel forward from the past. You know, if Starfleet's on top of its game and this relic shows up, it's like, great, you fly right into the museum and you're a living monument. Instead, there's going to be a very real need for them in whatever crisis they are facing and you know they've they've been out in front the the creatives uh kurtzman and paradise saying you know the federation is not gone um but it's not at its greatest strength and again story character i don't know pete do you think that they can come up with stories about the once great federation that has dimmed as of late being given a (laughs) given a shot back once they get Get, get 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 the ship set right with uh, with a bunch of people. This 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 wonderful rainbow alliance on Discovery coming in to save the day. I I hope they could figure out some stories here. 
I just hope the burn wasn't a virus. <laughs> Kurtzman has said that when they got into the editing room, yeah. he and Paradise were like, "Oh my god, what, what what is this that we did? What what is this? <laughs> what is this show that now is 2020 that we started making? You know, uh, o- almost a year prior and writing before that. What what is that? What's going on? What is this? What, what is this strange footage? You know." But I I just look forward to not knowing more than any other season of Star Trek coming in where this is headed. Um, and, And if that doesn't excite you about the premise of this show, uh, as a starship set show, as the flagship of the current era of Star Trek, then really this isn't for you anymore. And, you know, it's funny, when last we spoke Star Trek, reflecting on the first season of Lower Decks, we talked a bit about um, how it took that first season to understand the rules of, of that show. You know, what, what what's long-term, what's short-term, what's, you know, how much funny, how much serious, things like that. Um, I think back in particular to the second season of Discovery, where the arc of the red angel mystery um it was present in every episode though i think you can you can kind of for shorthand you can say there was the red angel first half and the war against control for the second half um it was th- that was a season that 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 was able to be put into parts uh, less easily than the first season that was that was more clearly the klingon war mostly mirror universe and you come back in and you wrap up you wrap up the klingon war at the end um, my point being, th- there's kind of all this stuff throughout, especially in the first two, three, four episodes of season two, there's all this stuff in terms of, um, kind of gingerly walking around the clues for the red angel and whatnot, as that, as the line is slowly let out there, kind of the fishing line is slowly let out. Uh, I, I do think now, you know, as it's presumably the mystery of the burn and how that has impacted everything you know our our hailing frequencies are extra open to look for those clues uh at what point does the show try and play tic-tac-toe with the audience at what point do they say hey we're just gonna we're just gonna tell the best story we can with some mysteries built in but we're not gonna try and outsmart you and then outsmart the outsmarters uh which i think probably you could say was the was the mistake that uh that westworld has made it just needs to be smarter than the smartest people who figure everything out um let let Star Trek be Star Trek, Pete. Let it let it un, unfold this modern twenty first century story uh, in due course. But it needn't be it needn't be the end of the sixth sense where you say, "Oh my goodness!" And it was a holodeck projection all along. No, but I think the show, and I think modern Star Trek, you know, with the number of stories that we've seen, whether it is uh Vogue, whether it is the the mirror universe of are are we even there yet or is it is it clear that that's where we jumped to um again who's in the red angel suit what is the burn i think could be on that level and then you know whatever else i mean you teased some of the uh episode titles that they would have one called Unification Three. Uh, my memory, without looking that up, that was like 1991 or 92. The Unification 
you know, two-parter in the next generation. So does that immediately mean, okay, Romulans, Vulcans? We know there's a Vulcan lady in a, in a trailer. Is that a red herring? Are we trying to reunite the, the pointy-eared species again? Will the Borg show up? Is there some even worse threat we've never heard of? Does Discovery get its Borg, its Klingons, its Romulans, whatever this season? Or do we just get Ferengi? Pete, I probably have mentioned this on the podcast in the uh, not too recent uh, past, but your words there just reminded me back when I was at uh, a local science fiction convention at the library uh circa 1993 i want to say um and uh the, the the local fan uh chapter uss challenger was there to answer questions and run a trivia thing and a fan got up and was like will there be the gorn on star trek next next generation no we're not hearing anything about the gorn will there be the tellerites uh, we're not really hearing anything about that. And he goes for another legacy, you know, TOS uh, race or whatever. And, and the guy says, um, Pete, the guy who still writes for uh, modest internet newspapers in our area, um, I, I might add. But uh, the, the captain of the ship said, um, look, they're trying to bring in new things here. They're not going to go back and have episodes with the Gorn, etc. So, again, Pete, there's that tension. Would I love to see... A thousand years from, I was going to say now, you know what I mean? That, that 930 years in the future of Star Trek, who's the most sympathetic, caring, redistribute the wealth kind of folks? It's the Ferengi. They had a big reckoning. <laughs> you and, know. and you read my mind, like, which species has changed the most? Yeah. You know, are, are the Klingons now embracing a more thoughtful approach? Have the, have the Vulcans you know, had a had a, a warlike period and, you know, have incorporated uh, more emotion in some way. Uh, are the Borg, like, I mean, we think back to Lower Decks and it's the end of uh, a show that's set, we're told, sometime deep into the future where it's a classroom and there's a Borg child learning in the classroom. Are the, are the Borg, like, well, there's Steve, you know, the, the, the Borg. He was Borg. He was Borg. He was Borg, but you know what? He he identifies as human, not Borg. That kind of thing. I, I Pete, and I don't say that as a joke. I say that as there's the opportunity with all of this. Yeah. Do it for story's sake. If you want to, if you want to surprise people, the Frenchy are actually cool now. Uh, that that disinterests me. If you want to say, hey, the Ferengi designed in the 1980s to be 1980s businessmen to the extreme to be gordon gecko at their worst gordon gecko's soul is now on the outside of the ferengi and to us as humans in the real world uh, you know th these ferengi <laughs> look like soul looks like <laughs> right like 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 these are hideous these are hideous creatures to us and it's okay to say that in star trek you're not being racist when you say michael westmore made weirdo aliens and then it was a complete disaster when they first premiered and they weren't the successors to the klingons and they just decided to lean so into what like crazy let's go deep cut Matt. what you know discovery gets a 3188 starfleet officer transfer whether it's a temporary captain or it's the guy that pushes the transporter buttons or whatever okay deep cut 
uh, species. That new crew member is a. Um, um, I want to say Andorian because I never liked the antennae that Discovery had for them. They were much better uh, and more fluid looking on Enterprise, but I feel like I could do better. Um, how about Bolian? Bolians are cool. Say hello to Bob the Horta. Ooh, okay. I want a Horta crewman. Okay, come on. They had Linus last season sneezing on the on the uh, jerk science officer who buys it in a premiere. I want you know <laughs> down the hallway. You know, oh, he, uh, Bob's just got to go. You know, Mrs. Bob is, is making silicon eggs. Uh, you know, better better get him to Doctor Culber. And and yeah, I want that. That or a Gorn. First of all, a Gorn. Um mild update to the makeup uh and i'm not saying a major redo um but like just you know that same real lizard man aesthetic but just done in they had a skeleton in Lorca's yeah. treasure trove but uh but but to redo that again not not a vast reimagination to just say we're gonna take that and we're gonna you know augment with some computer uh some computer generated stuff or we're gonna you know just really we're gonna pack that rubber mask with all sorts of little micro servers and whatnot uh and 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 you know be able to physically animate the heck out of it that's probably the most fun because you know the gorn being about as old school as you get um and a pretty good design like i don't think people look at the you know it's with all due respect it's not like the klingons and tos where all you need to do is just have them outside you know under sunlight and you're like those are sweaters with silver spray paint and yak hair that's glued to them. And in some shots, the yak hair is a whole lot less or a whole lot more. And uh, they rub shoe polish on their faces to make them look less white. You know, the, the Gorn outfit, the Gorn makeup, etc. is pretty darn good. I think you could turbo boost that and really make it phenomenal. Watch us uh, get the, uh, the guys from the planet Arianus who are one color on one side and one color on the other. And, and that's the season long, you know, we, we've got to solve that problem on that planet because it it burned through the entire racism, burned through the entire galaxy. And it started there. How about this, Pete? What if you get a background character uh, akin to visor transporter guy, which is to say he wasn't he wasn't in the literal background. You had a good shot of him for five seconds. You could pause it and say, look, it's on his eyes. It's over his head, things like that. Let's say we get a background character like that that has in, in something that looks um, a little bit more natural and realistic as opposed to a straight makeup line. You get kind of a, a, a mottled checkerboard type look to it to say those people finally did close their differences and now there's white and black on both sides. I think I had the planet wrong. I think it was uh, Charon was the uh the planet but uh yeah i could get down for what you were talking about there matt i mean we updated the uh the aliens from the original star trek pilot in season two of discovery and it was tremendously done uh with the gigantic heads something that an, an effect that i mean it's still interesting to look at 54 years later you know particularly with the pulsing and everything like that but at the same time you're like this is this is bad uh prosthetic work um and 
yeah, let, let's let's make it weird. Uh, let it be interesting. And uh, I can't be I can't wait to dig into this in a couple hours. Well, Pete, let's shift gears from 930 years in the Star Trek future to uh, last evening when you and I and many, many people uh, virtually attended the Trek, the vote to victory uh, fundraiser that was held uh, along with uh, it being a, a Star Trek panel itself. Um, and I think uh, obviously it was it was uh, done in support of the Biden campaign and whatnot, and that that was not lost in any of the segments. But as a Star Trek, uh, not a Star Trek Incorporated product, but as something where they're mostly talking about Star Trek and talking about the the talent there, whether it was things connected to politics or things connected to their lives uh, outside of Star Trek, a jam packed two plus hour experience. Yeah. Um, and you know, some trivia at the end, which was, I think the, the cherry on top, but, you know, super well represented with the, the casts of the, the shows and the current shows as well. And, you know, here we are, Matt, in 2020 where science is controversial and, you know, you have a party that denies climate change um platforms that are draconian in 2020 towards women towards um minorities people of color and then you have the people on the other side so it's essentially the federation against the klingons i'll add to that something that i've been thinking about uh for the last day which uh is in the women of star trek uh portion of the evening to hear uh, all those actresses talk briefly about life within the industry and uh, the harassment that uh, that most of them had endured on some level, uh, endured on some level. Um, first of all, I think the notion you know, here we are, obviously from not only a male perspective, but not as actors, not in Hollywood, etc. So several layers removed. I think whatever perspective was that this. This was a Harvey Weinstein and some other super high power, uh, you know, jerks and jerks can be everywhere. Not that that a lot, not that, that that makes allowances, but just, you know, there, there's a few bad eggs out there to have woman after woman on the panel talk about small or, or not so small and, and all of it, you know, uh, uh, too large and shouldn't be happening, but to talk about harassment that had happened in the world of Hollywood, um, was illuminating and then to have kate mulgrew say in her 47 years as an actor that she has never had any of those experiences it's hard to believe and i i don't doubt her i don't and and i don't see that even you know there might be a perception that that's in some way politically motivated that she would say that i don't think it is um but again the the way that she took that and and empowered uh between her between Michelle Hurd, who I was unaware of until last night, is the daughter of uh, civil rights activists. Um, I, I thought just completely in keeping with with the spirit, with the tone of Star Trek. Um, yeah, that that panel impressed me the most. Stacey Abrams there. And, and what do you know, when it came time for trivia, she just cleaned everybody's clock. Although I will say, Matt, um, to be asking uh, 
three politicians and Rosario Dawson, who was pinch hitting for Cory Booker, obviously at the Senate confirmation hearings for um, Amy Coney Barrett, um, that uh, they were asking like tier seven questions of, you know, all right, so Buttigieg and uh, Abrams and Andrew Yang, you know, they're fans. And okay, Buttigieg has a uh, Hugh action figure, not Hugh the Borg, which apparently whoever was cutting up the uh, the questions called him. But, you know, there were really, really difficult questions. Yeah, and I think the delightful thing was to see that these these panel moderators uh, themselves, you know, uh, Star Trek fans, second or fifth or eighth on the list, you, you know, public figures and working to change the, the country and the world and all that, to see that they were up to the task uh, was its own, uh, you know, was a dazzling moment. The, the whole, the whole um, convention, for lack of a better word, I don't say panel because there are multiple panels here, the whole presentation had an authenticity to it Mm-hmm. Um, which was impressive. Surely there must have been somebody, if only as devil's advocate, there must have been somebody from the boss side of things, whether it was CBS All Access or 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 whomever, to just say, "Can I make some recommendations about what to say and what not to say?" Uh, and I don't think any, if that was said, even just as devil's advocate, even to just say, "Hey, we're going to make you the bad guy." say what needs to be said just to protect the company and to protect a, a worst case scenario. Um, uh, Pete, I can imagine one case, one worst case scenario, Patrick Stewart being a resident alien of this country. Uh, you know, I think of John Lennon tangling with uh, Nixon and pressure to have him kicked out, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. So the potential for real stakes, but um, just to hear them speak honestly, uh, uh, you know, to hear the experience of some of these women in Hollywood was, eye-opening and then to hear patrick stewart in an earlier panel start when he started to speak he sounded like the 80s the 80 years old that he is and then when he started to talk uh in opposition of that most famous political slogan uh for the last couple years and to 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 talk about why it had the wrong perspective to see patrick stewart to see the vigor return in full force as he spoke so passionately about this that too was kind of like I, Pete, he was ever young. It was a reminder that there are principles beyond let me protect season two of Picard because it's a really great way to wrap up my career and things like that. It was just they all they all rose above and beyond the occasion. Yeah. And I think it's false to assume that these 19 actors are all Democrats because, you know, Hollywood. Um, I mean, wasn't Jerry Ryan's ex a Republican? Republican, if he, he was, he yeah. was, and let, let's not forget that because Jerry Ryan's husband was, shall we say, a perv. There's a whole tic-tac-toe that leads be, because of that, because it destabilized his political career. There's a tic-tac-toe that then leads to President Obama, uh, President Obama's election. So, yeah, str- yeah. stranger things. But um, you know, so Marina Sirtis was clearly the most outspoken, and I, I don't think that's surprising in any way. Um, our, but, our, our, our country person, Pete, I did not know yeah. that she, that she was, uh, she was at, I was gonna say as American or does it, she's an American citizen, same as us. She just, so she, she just got vote. here a little differently. Yes. So she can vote. And, you know, whereas Patrick Stewart not done that, and he is Sir Patrick and all the respect there. And, 
you know, but a but a money where her mouth is type of thing and wanting to have that say and and you know those though she said some you know uh things that that garnered attention and you know grabbed the the limelight a couple times uh i think her heart's in the in the right place um and again we're confronting you know these overlapping crises that have happened here so again that you know that fantastic geek that you know we we pride ourselves on on you know remaining apolitical um it, it's very hard to right now and you know this is where we we felt like we had to take a stand and you know uh be able to um support this and you know hopefully uh <laughs> much like with Star Trek Discovery and, you know, a, a lot of the the fictional world here that we will solve these problems and, and all move forward together. Well, Pete, to to the togetherness, to the future, but the very, very near future, uh, as we record this, the premiere of season three of Discovery hours away. Uh, we, of course, will be voraciously watching it uh, tomorrow. Pete, I don't know if you're staying up until 3 a.m., if you shall rise I'm early. I'm not, but I, well, first off, I've seen the pilot. <laughs> I've, I've seen the pilot. I've seen the first one back. Um, but I'll tell you this, I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, and certainly when it comes to podcasting it, we are squarely uh, returning to what we've been doing for uh, for Lower Decks, which is Star Trek Saturdays. So if you have uh, thoughts to share, uh, do be in touch uh, whatever your your local time might be in the planet, uh, if you're getting that info to us, uh, you know, Saturday morning early on the earlier side or by Friday night, uh, hopefully that is all inclusive to uh, to those watching on CBS All Access, those watching on Space, etc. in Canada, and uh, those watching on uh, Netflix and the rest of the world, and uh, other people who might be watching in other ways. However you're watching, hopefully that gives you enough time to be in touch with us. We'll give all our contact info in a little bit but you know we definitely look forward to this star trek discovery season three discussion being being a vigorous one and an exciting one i think fans will be that reinvigorated word there that you know it'll be so different that they'll be you know looking for any familiarity of course and then you know these new uh mysteries these new aspects that are going to pop up you know, so we'll be keeping it with the Star Trek Saturdays. A couple weeks, Matt, it's going to be Star Trek Saturdays and Star Wars Sundays. <laughs> so our weekend dance card for podcasts will be completely full. But you know what? It's in the best possible way. Pete, this entire forthcoming season of podcasts for Star Trek Discovery is, of course, made possible by those who have Fantastic Geek be listeners supported, our crew, those who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, and uh, particularly this time of year as some of those bills come in, we cannot thank each and every one of you enough for uh, helping support Fantastic Geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, all sorts of levels, okay, can't contribute just now we certainly understand given the economic difficulty get yourself over to apple podcasts always helps us when you give us a rating a review help them know who the cream of the crop is as far as star trek podcasts absolutely pete and 
having that discussion continue over to social media and etc we always love when we get to hailing frequencies to talk about an episode so pete how can people be in touch with you you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-l-a-r k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 11,595 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. We will be back this Saturday to talk Star Trek Discovery episode 301. That's right, the morning of October 17th. So for now, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. See you in the future.